welcome to episode 38 of the UC Architects podcast. This episode is recorded Saturday, May 10th, 2014. And before we get started, I wanted to mention that this UC Architects episode is sponsored by Instant Technologies, experts in e-discovery and compliance for your Link IM archive. View a two-minute demo or start a free trial at tryhrauditor.com and follow Instant on Twitter at Team Instant. And this episode is also sponsored by our new sponsor, Event Zero. The Dossier Link product family is an integrated suite of functionality designed specifically to enable organization-wide analytics for Microsoft Link environments. Create actionable intelligence for the organization about the Link environment and its utilization. Check them out at eventzero.com. And this episode, I'm joined by four of my colleagues, Michelle DeRoy, John Cook, Tom Arbuthnot, and uh, the the guy who recently swallowed the blue pill, Johan Veldis. So, <laughs> Johan, tell us about your new role at Microsoft. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I joined uh, Microsoft uh, in March as a premier field engineer. So, in that specific role, I will go to customers both proactive and reactive. So... It has to do with giving presentations. We we call them chalk and talks and workshops. So it's having discussions with customers how they should do things or if they want to get have some more information on our new uh, products. And the reactive things are, well, customers who are having issues and that can be things which uh, they have created support cases for and want some additional investigation on site or in worst case, uh, crits it. And yeah, yeah, then really something is uh, happening uh, on the customer side and they want someone from Microsoft Online. So that's my new role. So yeah, I'm happy I could still attend the UC Architects because I really like it. And I got approval from uh, from uh, from Microsoft. So <laughs> What you're saying is if it's broke, it's your fault? Is that, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> So, oh, oh. well, good. Glad you got the new role, and uh, and hopefully it's everything you thought it would be. Yeah, tell me how it is. So, yeah, good. Uh, top stories uh, this week is uh, TechEd. So, uh, part of our team is uh, is headed down to Houston. Um, Michael Stale and Justin are all uh, presenting this uh, this coming week. So uh, if you get a chance, uh, check out Justin's session, Understanding How Microsoft Link Server 2013 Leverages the Complete Microsoft Infrastructure Ecosystem. Uh, there's a mouthful. Um, and uh, Stale's uh, Phone Number Management in Microsoft Link Server 2010. I know John and I saw that session at uh, uh, Link Conference. Yep, and, stuff. Yeah, very good stuff. Uh, everything you need to know about managing your uh, your phone numbers. And uh, Michael's uh, session, Building a Hybrid Microsoft Exchange Server 2013 Deployment in Less Than 75 Minutes. If there's anybody that can uh, do that with uh, hybrid, it's Mr. Uh, Van Hybrid himself. Himself. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so do check those out and, uh, and let us know if you enjoyed them. Uh, big news came out of uh, Kemp this week. Uh, Kemp is now going to give every Microsoft certified professional a free NFR license for their Kemp VLM 5000. That's their uh, 5000 series virtual uh, load balancer. Um, that's huge. I know uh, for for quite some time they've given them to uh, MCMs and MVPs, but now they're uh, they're giving them to uh, MCPs as well. Um, has anybody used the 5000 series? No, I've been trying to get mine for the 2000 for a while, actually. I, gotta, no, I might have to call them again because I was playing phone tag with I forgot his name. Uh, no, <clears throat> I'm very pleased with the 2000 now that I've deployed not that yeah. long ago. Very cool. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, Bargov will be a guest here uh, in an upcoming episode. Oh, cool. And, and Kemp has, has been one of our sponsors, too. So uh, they've, they've done some great stuff. So looking forward to that. Uh, there won't be a link to that on the summary page because I think you have to click a link from an email that they're sending to people. Um, at least that's what I was able to kind of ascertain there. So next up big news and, uh, lots of debate around this. Uh, the next top blog is uh, essentially being phased out and, uh, Microsoft mm -hmm. is going to migrate some of the content to, uh, the office blogs. <laughs> Um, and Dr. the Dr. Rez account on Facebook and Twitter is being uh, retired. 
So, um, Ooh, yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't hear that. Yeah, that's uh, so basically they're they're coming into line with, you know, kind of the rest of the office family, which I, I can understand to some degree. So that there's consistency. Uh, but, you know, for those people that are heavy into link and, and used to finding stuff, uh, you know, on the uh, the next top blog or, or following Dr. Rez, it's it's definitely disappointing. And, you know, I was on a call um with Microsoft people about how they're how they're going to do this, and basically, you know, the busier posts or the, the posts that get you know more traffic uh, will be migrated over the next few months, uh, but some of the lower traffic uh, uh, articles won't be, and that's you know obviously that's disappointing, um, not just because I was involved in some of those posts, but um, the fact that it I think they contain valuable information, and that stuff's you know essentially not going to be around anymore. Um, yeah, that's a real shame because I mean, I mean, even stuff that's old and you think that it has no relevance anymore, you know, if it's even as an older version, they still have a lot of relevance because for, you forget, you know, you forget stuff and you you're searching for something else. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone searching for something else and they land on an old article. I'm like, oh man, I totally forgot that. <laughs> you know? Yep. Like, you know, and I rebookmark stuff that I've already bookmarked because I forgot I bookmarked it. But you you know, you kind of count on the fact that stuff's going to be out there forever, you know? Right. And um, you know, some of the stuff has been um, uh, quite. Uh, complex information like um, you know how to decrypt link traffic uh, uh, using Wireshark and uh, and things like that and you know very very good information and it's not just being migrated uh, the information that is being migrated is just not being migrated all in mass to the same place because things will be laid out quite differently uh, they're not really doing um, how-to stuff anymore and um, you know, there's going to be a big change as to where you're going to go on the office blogs to find uh, different information that you typically found all in uh, Nexthop. So more places well, to look to find less information. Will they be redirecting old references to the new spots? or? So what I've heard um, is that they're going to try and do redirects for specific posts and... Um, Eventually, once next hop is phased out, then there will be a general um, redirect just to the office blog for a link. Okay, good. Now, the uh, next hop blog is is still going to be around for a while. There's no new content being added to it, but it's still going to be there. They said for probably a year. Um, but you're start you're going to start seeing uh, redirects to uh, to the new location for that information. So time to, time to get one of those programs that downloads. Uh you know, like a you know, what are they, the crawler that downloads all the web content. <laughs> yeah, like HTTP track. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that that's probably the way to go uh, for people who want to have all the content. Then, as I uh, because I it's also pretty new to me. I I heard some discussions about it. So yeah, I think that that's the only way to go. If you really want to have all the contents, then then do it that way. Yeah, and I think. So, I think what you'll see, too, is um, some of the people that um, – some of the MVPs and MCMs uh, and external people that contributed to some of those uh, blog posts, I think you're going to see those blog posts get reposted on on the individual MVP or, or MCM's uh, blog as well. So the content's probably still going to be out there for the most part. But, you know, you're yeah. going to have to look in a lot more places to find stuff than just yeah. going to next top. Well, maybe, you know, start, start – um you know, if you're going to read, you know, like I bookmark stuff on my blog, maybe I'll start putting the whole content out instead of just, uh, you know, link to something because I can't count on those links being there forever now. Right? That's right. Yep. Lots of work for you to do, John. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's big news. And we've uh, got a link to the, uh, the announcement from Microsoft. It'll be on the summary page. Uh, next up, uh, U.S. judge rules search warrants extend to oversee email accounts. So, Michelle... Uh, you submitted this one. What's up with this? Well, there was some confusion about the reach of the U.S. legal system regarding the data stored in European, or and I assume also in other continents, in the data centers there, and yeah, how that legally is arranged. And, of course, Microsoft sold it here as, um, say, that we are safe from uh, the, the from the hands of the U.S. legal department and the NSA and that kind of uh, uh, institutes. Um, so, yeah, they countered that, uh, that claim, and it's still under uh, dispute. And it's very interesting to follow 
there are, of course, uh, legal arrangements which can be made to get the data the U.S. wants through all the arrangements countries have made. Uh, but, of course, there's also uh, the issue of how things are sold over here. And yeah, that's another story. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we, yeah, we, we had a discussion about it. I mean, you know, I... Yeah. You know, you, you, well, I mean, as an, as an American, you know, but I, mean, I understand, you know, you know, I understand the trepidation that it has, right? But on the same token, you know, that's, com- I would say that probably admit, I would probably think that that's pretty common anyway. Um, you know, in terms of the, a, a, a company from one, uh, you know, nation having data centers and other companies and, you know, how much of those things, uh, the, you know, laws of the, the, the local data center apply to the content. You know, I mean, it's hard. That's a really difficult decision, especially when you talk about high availability scenarios. So, like, you know, if you talk about something with exchange, if you have a, yep. a DAG say and you have a copy across, I mean, in essence, the date, you know, that data is in both can be in either place or both places, more or less, right? I mean, and so what? How, how can you draw a line that says, well, on this, you know, when the, the copy's over here, it's subject to this law? You know, it's it's difficult to do that, right? Yeah, it's very complex uh, material. But I, I mean, I, I totally understand, you know, foreign foreign uh, businesses and, and and users and customers kind of freaking out by it, especially with our parent proclivity for spying on everybody lately, you know. But uh, so I, I can see why it might be a, a, a concern for for people. Certainly, definitely. But you shouldn't be afraid. We, we generally are, are decent people. <laughs> <laughs> We're from the government. We're here to help you. <laughs> Okay, and, and uh, heading into our exchange topics. Um, so those of you who have ever looked at Posterpedia, um, this is a pretty cool app. If you have uh, seen the big posters commonly given away at uh, uh, TechEd or LinkConf or some of the other events, um, you can view them in Posterpedia. It's an app, and um, it's pretty cool. It allows you to, to have access to all the information, see you know kind of a – a smaller on-screen version of the individual posters. Well, there's new posters, uh, one for Azure and a new one for Exchange. So uh, uh, it's nice if you uh, if you use uh, Posterpedia, check that out. We'll have a link on the uh, summary page for the episode. Next up, um, alternate ID uh, for logins for Office 365, uh, reducing the dependence on UPNs. Uh, there's a new article on the Office blog about this. Has anybody uh, played around with uh, alternate login IDs? No, I mean I read, I read the article. It's, it's interesting because uh, it's actually a really good article. Um, but no, I haven't haven't had a chance to really you know, deploy it or anything yet. Well, if you if you do uh, want to use uh, alternate login IDs for Office 365, there is a new uh, a blog article that goes into detail on on how to pull it off. So uh, we'll have a link to that as well. Next up from Microsoft is a release of uh, guided walkthroughs for Exchange, Link, SharePoint, and Office 365. So tons of information on this page where you can go through and um, uh, see how different aspects of each of the products works, um, different categories, troubleshooters, how-to, things like that. And they're all broken down by product and then by topic. So um, looks like there's about 20 of them on here. So uh, very good information. I, I looked through some of the link one, uh, link on, online uh, topics, and uh, they were very interesting. So uh, take a look at that. Next up, uh, the Exchange Connections Conference. Uh, the sessions have been posted online. Um, Johan, you uh, took a look at this, right? Yeah, yeah. I was there last year. It's a, if you want to go to a, a multiple conference, well, think about this one because it's a really interesting one. Uh, our own uh, Paul Cunningham and uh, Michael van Hybrid, or Michael van Horenbeek, <laughs> is also speaking on uh, on the conference. And it's a connection for well, the Exchange Connections one is one is, which is well contains several sessions which are pretty interesting about both Exchange and Office 365. Uh, well, besides our own. Uh, Group members, uh, several other people from the community are uh, presenting on a session. Paul Rubishu, for example, Tony Redmond, Barkov Shukla. And it's both, uh, well, troubleshooting, disaster recovery, but also uh, maybe HTTP in depth from Barkov. It, it, it might be an interesting session. I haven't seen it. Um, maybe it's a new one. Um, 
Yeah, so if you have time to go and if you're allowed from your from your uh, employer, think about getting to to the uh, Exchange Connections one. It's it's a really nice conference. Yeah, yeah, it looks pretty cool. The, the sessions uh, look pretty awesome. Yeah, I guess I'm not going now. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a bit well uh, compared to to the Mac. It's 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 totally well. Some subjects subjects are well the same, but some are uh, being delivered by uh, by all the presenters. But besides the uh, the community guys, there are also I thought there were one or two uh, guys from Microsoft, and then the support escalation engineer, for example, Tim McMichael. Well, I've seen two sessions of him last year, and they're really great. Yeah, he's always. You awesome. see that guy; he really understands the product, and he really can. Well, he can explain it to everyone, and everyone understands him. It's great. He, he's so, a great. He's a great guy to sit and just talk to. I mean, yeah. he's very yeah. personable. Yeah, I was talking to him at Mech uh, Jedi, and I were talking to him at Mech. I mean, it's, you know, it's always good to see him because and he taught our. He was you know he was teaching in the, even in the beta rotation for thirteen MCM. MCSM, and uh, you know, even just outside talking with him, then you know, it's, he's a pretty cool guy. He certainly knows his stuff like nobody I've ever met. You know. Yeah. So, if you have time and if your employer allows again, well, try to go there and, and be there. Uh, conference is held in the Area Hotel in Las Vegas, and he's. Starts at the 15th of September till the 19th of September. Yeah, good good stuff. And if you've if you've never gone to the Connections Conference, a um, couple of things to keep in mind. It's not a Microsoft conference. This is uh, yeah. Pen, uh, Penton Media uh, is the big name behind this. So it's not something put on by Microsoft. There are some Microsoft speakers, uh, like we mentioned, Tim McMichael. Um, but most of the speakers are third-party people, you know, uh, individual consultants or, you know, internal IT people, MVPs, MCMs, whatever the case may be. So um, you get more of a an outside view of things um, as opposed to uh, TechEd where you get a lot more Microsoft speakers and, you know, kind of the, this is the way we kind of intended things. Um, it, it's a great conference. I'm glad to see it at the Aria. Um, it was at the Mandalay Bay for for quite a while. Um, it's not just Exchange. They have all kinds of stuff there. They have SQL, SharePoint, Windows, uh, Visual Studio. You know, uh, big data, all this cloud stuff. So lots of topics uh, to draw from. But definitely a, a fair amount of uh, Exchange content, um, courtesy of uh, of Tony Redman, who's uh, one of the organizers of it, and, and ensures that there's lots of Exchange content. So. Uh, a good time is had by all, generally. Yeah, we need one uh, for Link. <laughs> well, they 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 have had some Link um, sessions previously, and now what I understand is, you know, now they're finally starting to get more sessions submitted, but they have so many different topics down there and only so many session spots that they just haven't had uh, the the chance to expand out you know, a full link track. So, but, you know, we have link conference, so, you know. This is true. I, but, you know, I, 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 I totally see the merit in, uh, of kind of a, you know, independent sort of outside of the Microsoft presentation because you get different, I would, you know, I think you get different perspectives sometimes and different different info, you know, you might get from a Microsoft-sponsored event. Right, right, definitely. So looking forward to uh, to that and, uh uh, good luck to Paul and Michael for uh, for presenting that. And while we're talking about uh, conferences, the uh, recordings from the Microsoft Exchange Conference, or MEC, are now available. And, Johan, you uh, took a look at some of those, right? Yeah, yeah, because I, I wasn't at the MEC. <laughs> I was waiting for the recordings to be available, and they are available. Um, there are some scripts available on the Internet. One of them is from Paul Rubichoum. Wrote a script to download the content. Uh, the sessions are published on Channel 9, so that's where you can find most of the stuff also for TagEd, um, most popular conferences uh, from Microsoft. So have a look at it. We will put a link on our website so you can easily find it. Just go to the website and watch them or download them. Then you can watch them when you're traveling. Yeah, I have um, a whole ton of – I downloaded all of the sessions, and it was uh, almost 19 gig of data for the slide 
slide decks and the MP4s. So yeah, that's about what I had. <clears throat> very, very good. And uh, definitely, you know, if you didn't get a chance to go to Mac and uh, you'd like to take a look at the conf- the the uh, sessions, uh, definitely uh, check out one of the scripts to download everything. Let's tear up uh, Microsoft's bandwidth. Huh? Um, (laughs) and another conference so link conference 14 something that uh, i was able to uh uh, attend along with uh, john and a bunch of other guys and tom and and half the modality team and (laughs) pretty much (laughs) (laughs) um those sessions are now on channel nine as well Uh, and john you uh, took a look at those right yeah yeah i mean obviously i said i was there but again there's there's some uh uh that i used even from the uh, previous uh, uh link conference uh in san diego and I, I you know i care i basically carry them around with me and I, I refer to them all the time like from brian nice and stuff on voice quality so i mean these you know these and he did the same kind of one um i think uh, this year too so i mean it's kind of an updated version um i mean they're invaluable you know and if you if you didn't get to go i mean definitely go check this up and is tom is your script still work to download this stuff or 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 no yeah, I haven't update I haven't updated the script yet for the Channel Nine stuff, but it's uh, it's strongly on my list, so I think I'll be banging that out sometime next week probably. Yeah, I mean it's like I said, there's a ton of great stuff, and if you didn't go, like I said, and even if you did go and you want to remember stuff <laughs> that you you totally forgot, uh, definitely go out and grab those. Yeah, it's nice to you know have all the slides to kind of annotate and you know drop into OneNote or whatever and make your own notes on, and then go back and and check out the videos too. It's uh. It's great stuff. Yeah, the link, link conference is just like you know, just like Mac. It's it's full of a ton of very good sessions crammed into a very short time frame. You know that you can't possibly attend all the ones that you want to, um, either because there's conflicts or because you know, like in John's case, you're just hungover. But um, <laughs> it, it, it's nice to go back and and you know and view the same content again if you if you were originally there or uh, catch it if you missed it. So. No, yeah, I mean, and, and quite quite literally yesterday, um, I was talking to somebody about a like a global um, link voice deployment, and 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 one of the components is going to be in India. One of the big parts of the deployment is going to be in India, and we, we were just immediately started talking about Doug Lottie's presentation on least cost and location based routing and link, right? And so it's kind of the joke, and you know, India is the use case for that sort of in a lot of ways. Um, but immediately, you know, again, we immediately referred to that his his session at, at link conference, you know, uh, a few months ago. You know, be, and and, it's, and I'm going to go have to go back and watch that over and over again to remember, you know, kind of the stuff because now I actually might have to do that, you know. So it's like I said, you, you never know when you know, you know, you, you come across and you're like, hey, I, you know, exactly where to go to to you know brush up on that, you know. You know, the truer words have have not been spoken. Um, I'm dealing with that right now for somebody that wants to have some people in India be part of a. Uh, call center solution that's based in the U.S. and so I was looking into the regulations and requirements and everything for India, and I had three people say, "Go watch Doug Lottie's session." <laughs> right, totally. yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I was there. Sorry. I had seen it. So, uh, uh, so I hear some nice sessions coming in the future from you guys. <laughs> Well, we'll see. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess I, I got to figure it out first. <laughs> you know, oh, and then explain how it works. sort of stuff right now, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good stuff. But, uh, you know, hours and hours of, uh, of information to, uh, uh, to listen to and see. Uh, next up, um, Microsoft has finally released a supported method to move from pure link online to uh, an on-prem or hybrid uh, deployment of link. And uh, Tom, you look through this information. Uh, what do you think of it? Yeah, this is um, this is actually really good news. I think it's it's probably not been bigger news because most people assume you could always do it. Um, so what this is is someone who deploys um, Office 365 Link Online um, and then later decides they want Link on-prem, um, which is actually a fairly common and increasing occurrence because Microsoft they, announced they that well, yeah, exactly. So, so Microsoft sell you 365 licensing now. They they're doing good deals on 365 licensing. People get the ability to use Link for the first time. They can turn it on in 365 really easily. They get a thousand seats deployed, and then they decide they actually want to do PSTN calling and enterprise voice, or they want to take control of the the, the quality of service, or the the do call emission control. They have compliance requirements. You know, they want to do server side apps. There's a whole bunch of reasons why you might want Link on-prem as well as Link online in some kind of hybrid mode, um, and we've got we've got a few customers, three in play at the moment, that all want to do this. And there's there's some hacky ways that we've been able to do it in the past, 
Um, but this is the first time there's been an official method to um, move straight from link in the cloud on 365 to having a hybrid system where you've got some users either moving from 365 to on-prem or you've, you remain with some users on-prem and some users online without losing your buddy lists or kind of having a major impact to the users. Um, it's all documented on uh, TechNet and uh, I know a few guys that have run the, run the process and it, it seems to work well. Um, I've yet to do it myself personally, but I've got a project coming up, so as soon as I have, I'll, uh, I'll be updating my blog post with the results. But Tom, isn't the cloud the answer? <laughs> <laughs> of course the cloud is the answer. Uh, but, you know, uh, I'm sure Johan will uh, tell us that it's definitely the answer. Um, but th there's reasons for hybrid, you know, and it, it, it's not even necessarily always functional reasons. It might be you've got the majority of your business in 365, but you want one office on-prem and, and now you can do that without impacting those link online users so so really good news yeah i mean it's also yeah it's, it's, it's kind of a big deal because i see it sometimes with acquisitions where you know somebody buys a common company buys another one the one the company that's getting purchases on 365 that's not what they want to do so they need to move those people off to their you know on-prem environment um and, and it hasn't been a pleasant scenario you know and we're seeing loads is uh, e4 getting sold now which is really good news because um Microsoft's doing great deals on E4. For those that don't know what E4 is, that's the ability, um, kind of the equivalent to a, a Link Plus cow, so the ability to do Enterprise Voice, but sold in a kind of subscription model. So we're seeing Microsoft do um, really good deals on people for E4 who are existing 365 users, and then they come to us and say, right, we want to deploy Voice. And we, we previously we were like, ah, you've already got thousands of people in Link Online. This is not going to be pretty. Whereas now it's a, it's a much nicer process, and we can just crack on with getting some uh, enterprise voice going for those guys. That's cool. Yeah, good stuff. So glad to see that finally come out because, yeah, like you said, there, there's been quite a few people asking about it. Uh, next up, Link Phone Edition cumulative update was uh, released in April. So all four of the uh, LPE family of devices now have new firmware out. So uh, if you have LPE devices in your environment, check it out. And uh, mainly just some streamlining. I didn't see anything um, super big in, in these releases, but um, there's a new firmware for each of those. And and uh, we'll put a link out to each one of those and my script to uh, make updating those a little easier, which uh, now will support uh, downloading them and importing them all in one. So that, that new version should be out in the next couple of days. Uh, next up, uh, John, tell us about this uh, pool ownership conflict. Yeah, I came across this a few weeks ago, and it took me a while to, to, to get, get around to making a blog article. But but basically, um, you know, scenario was um, we had an environment, you know, two uh, uh, paired pools, um, for a variety of reasons I won't go into, but uh, the, the, D, the DFS service where the, uh, where the file shares were hosted were stopped while a user was being moved between pools. So the net effect, what happened was basically the, 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 the user's object really didn't know what it, uh, you know, the home pool it was on, right? So basically uh, it was stuck, and when we tried to move it, we got a very specific you know, set of errors that I had never seen before, along with some uh, um, the 4073 of NID errors about the backup service. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, I had no clue why. It's not something I had ever come across before. Obviously, pretty quarter case. I mean, I'm not sure if you know, it could happen in other scenarios, but, but that was the scenario that happened to me. Um, and, again, you know, note to self, uh, you know, don't, uh, tr maybe don't, don't trust the, you know, your security scans, uh, against your DFS shares because um, that's a kind of a critical piece to, to link more or less, right? Um, so what yeah, so the net effect was we called PSS and uh, they provided a tool that I had never heard of called uh, the pool conflict corrector tool. And basically it goes out and kind of scans and looks for objects that may be in an inconsistent state, so to speak, um, in terms of, you know, where the, the, what is stated as the home, the, you know, user's home pool, and we'll look for conflicts and, and correct these. Um, you know, again, let me preface again, like I did in the article, that, you know, this is a PSS thing only. You need to call them. You can't get it, you know, any other way. I'm definitely, you know, um, follow their guidance and all that. Um, and there's some backup things you want to do to make sure that, you know, just in case something does get jacked, um, that you could have a, an ability to recover from that. Oh, I also discovered, as part of it, it was also a good exercise because when running it, we discovered that uh, we didn't have correct uh, permissions on SQL, um, you know, from a link 
admin perspective um, to even run this tool. So we had to go back and kind of really go through and figure out why we lost uh, the correct, you know, required permissions on the RTCXDS database. So also it might be helpful to, you know, take a look at that before you even run this because <laughs> if you're running this problem because, you know, that's the kind of things you want to fix here as well. Anyone, any comments, any questions on this exciting topic? Yeah, I guess, John, it's a good good, uh, good point that how important that share is for Link. People always underestimate that. The other one I see a lot of people trying to stick it on NetApp, and I'm always like, don't do that because it's a nightmare yeah. with permissions. Um, people yeah, completely I mean, underestimate it. Yeah, and if you know, it's one of those things too. It's you know, it's it's uh, you know, it's one of those reasons why you know the file share witness is recommended to be on on a, on a hub transport exchange, right? Because not so much that, that it's anything special about it, but at least it's a file server that's usually under the control of the exchange group, right? Same thing with your link shares. If you put them off on a you know uh, on a on a, a server that you don't own, you know, you if you as long as you have good communication with that group who does own it, you know, you should be I have no problems. But you know, in larger environments where you don't have that kind of communication. Um, you know, there's a, there's a chance that, like, that, you know, that can happen. You know, um, they take your stuff down, and you know, it's your SLA that's affected. People are wondering why I can't start a conference to link. <laughs> it's like, hey, because you guys knocked my share down. You know, you, you get into that awkward debate of uh, does the do the link guys have to own everything to guarantee an SLA? And you know, in bigger environments, that's just not plausible often. So right. Well, I mean, and, and, you know, I think in some ways, I mean, again, I, I don't know if this is, you know, if you, you know, if, I, if this is true, but in my mind, there's a reason why some of the changes, you know, other than you know, pure speed and performance architectural changes, why a lot of the SQL backend stuff was moved into 13 onto the front ends from the SQL backend and how it was in 2010. Yeah. But the net effect is, at least, we don't have to rely on SQL as much. So it's, it's a win for the link guys in, in two ways, right? <laughs> Yeah, at least you've got half an hour to get the sequel to fix whatever <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's nice not having to rely on some enterprise SQL pile as much anyway. Uh, all right, good info. Thanks for that, John. Uh, next up, a release um, by somebody who just got tired of stuff not working, uh, a link uh, plug-in for Wireshark. So um, what happened was somebody saw that... Um, in this case, it's James Cousin, who we've reviewed some of his scripts here before, um, determined that when you're using Wireshark, you can't see um, inside some of the stun messages. So he wrote a plugin for Wireshark, and uh, you can now see all of that information within the stun uh, 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 packets going around. So, um, you know, James, awesome job again. And yeah, we will totally. definitely uh, get a link uh, on the summary page. Um, and I think I've, I've made it quite clear. My, my mission in life is to find a way to automate the installation and configuration of Wireshark. So before I die, that's going to happen. Um, yeah, that's really cool. I mean, yeah, he, he does some really cool stuff, and that's a really good idea. And, you know, but also on that, on that note, though, wasn't, isn't Netmon, doesn't Netmon have some, some extra stuff that, that is better at that than what Wireshark had, like kind of built in? Or message analyzer, as it's called now. Oh right, yeah, I forgot. Um, I'll never not call it that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I haven't. I haven't looked at that in uh, in message analyzer or, or Netmon, but uh, so I, I couldn't really tell you. But um, it, yeah, it's, uh, Netmon Netmon definitely had a set of passes specifically for Link, and I think now yeah. it's message analyzer. They seem to be doubling down on uh, making the ability to create passes fairly easy. So I haven't used it for a long while. I must admit, I always use Wireshark, but um, there's definitely something in there. Yeah. Well, it's you know it's been funny too because back in the uh, MCM days, like you know, it basically there was legal reasons why they could why you couldn't even use Wireshark, like it was forbidden, like as if it never existed. Like, don't even ask, don't even. I don't want to see it on the machines, you know. <laughs> so it was always funny, like because it was like Netmon, who uses that anymore? Yeah, and if you're if you're going to use uh, Wireshark, we've mentioned this before. Um, several people have written some very good blog posts on how to configure Wireshark specifically for. Uh, link, uh, you know, Jonathan McKinney has done yeah, one. Uh, Jeff Schertz has done one. I think Stale has some stuff about um, about it. There's uh, uh, even an article on the Wireshark.org page about decrypting uh, TLS SIP. Um, all kinds of good information. Um, so don't just click next, next, next all the way through. Um, you know, take some time and go back and, and configure things to make life easier for you. Oh, and Tom uh, mentions in the IM chat here about uh, Matt Landis did some stuff too. So that's right. So kudos to Matt for for that. Yeah, it was funny actually. I was putting together uh, like a list of like you know 
key articles for for some people yesterday, and honestly, it was you know most of your guys here, here on the call. But like, yeah, it was Jeff's. It was just like it was stuff, stuff around link phones, and but it's like, yo, know, here's this kind of like cookbook. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you know, bookmark these links, and you'll be good for this stuff. You know. Uh, next up, a debate on why you shouldn't use uh, .local in your AD domain name. So, um, you know, there's, this has been debated quite a while, but, um, you know, there's some recommendations about not using .local. Um, and who's, who's uh, kind of looked into this? Well, I know I've deployed that many times in the past. Uh, but, yeah, and, you know, we kind of had this discussion on this, right? I mean, you know, you know I, back in the day when, when 2000 came out, you know, AD first was released, you know, that was very fa- fashionable at the time to do uh, empty root domains, right? And, and you know, I get it, I, because in my experience, those kind of fell out of favor probably like 2003 time frame. Or not so much fell out of favor, but it's like, you know, you don't need to do that anymore. Um, a lot of it had to do with, you know, not trusting enterprise admins to be, you know, having that isolated up into another uh, domain. So, but I, I saw a lot of it back then. Um, because, you know, the empty root just had some kind of name and then people just maybe, maybe did a different tree with the actual namespace, you know. But, um, I mean, you know, the, the concept of having to have something routable is always, I think that's, that's the core of the argument, right? Like, you know, so you, so you want to have, some people want, say that you want to have something routable as your namespace, like a .com, .net, whatever. Um, but, you know, they also kind of like, well, you know, you're going to have split DNS probably anyway. Well, what, there's nothing inside that should have to worry about that right and wasn't there an issue um i remember uh several years back this is probably five or six years back that there was some issue with max and and ad domains that had dot local in the name or something I, don't, yeah, I think i don't know what you're talking about because max by default i think do use dot yeah, local for their own name right yeah it's, it's isn't it for bonjour or the their the Maybe protocol they're, yeah. that they're using yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I think that's that issue still exists. So, so John, you're saying that don't use dot local. Use a publicly routable uh, TLD. Well, I mean, I I would probably say you know again like a lot of you know how how many Greenfield AD forests are there nowadays? But there's there's some. Um, I don't know. My thought is I don't think it matters. Um, I don't see any reason not to do it. But uh, but what are your guys' thoughts? I mean, I mean, I I don't even know what guidance really is today from Microsoft perspective. Is anyone? Well, I, I can certainly think that um, even if you used, you know, Contoso.com instead of Contoso.local, you're still going to have split-brain DNS just so, um, you know, clients are accessing uh, internal resources via internal IP addresses. But So it certainly can't be just so you can not use split-brain DNS. You know, maybe certificates, you know, with the coming changes with the uh, public uh, CAs not being able to use um, internally – uh, non-routable names, I, I suppose that would be a, a benefit. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, and again, well, and there's always that argument about, you know, whether whether, whether you use public, uh, like for, for link, whether you just use, get over, you know, just bite the bullet and just use a public certificate for everything. Um, in fact, you know, as a tangent, um, I didn't know DigiCert will do, like, if you buy a wildcard, they will add like a custom SAN to every, to, you know, to the wildcard for, for, for multiple machines. So you still are paying for this wildcard, but they'll let you, like, say, have a wildcard, you know, for the for the for the, the subject name, but also like a machine name on the SAN, so that it'll work for a bunch of like, like I say, a gateway. You know, um, I thought that was pretty cool. I didn't know that. Just total aside. <laughs> so it makes you know using a wildcard much more palatable, and then also having a public certificate, you don't have to worry so much about internal PKI stuff, right? Well, right, and you know because of the upcoming change, which I think is uh, November of next year, you can't have a um, this, uh, public CAs will not generate a certificate with uh, an expiration date after November of next year, I believe. So this, I, this I could see as as a way kind of around that. Um, I don't think that's really that big of a deal. I mean. Um, you know, there's, there are some requirements, say, like on an Office web app server, that the server name, the server FQDN has to be in the certificate or the um, the health shows is unhealthy. But, you know, there's there's ways around that, too, by just using an internal uh, PKI to generate certificates that are on the server and using a public certificate in TMG um, so that, you know, just the public name is, is exposed externally. But um, I, I, I could see... Uh, I, I could see yeah, I mean, using you know, you know, routable names internally now to kind of get around that. But 
Well, yeah, and what, what, yeah, what, 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 you know, the arguments of not um, using dot local. I mean, I think those are valid in that sense, right? I mean, you know, both certs for routing potential changes coming up in certificates. Um, but you know, like I said, a lot of companies are kind of stuck, right? <laughs> and I know it was one of the jokes I made because you know you you can kind of tell back when you know in the 2000 time frame when uh, you know people were deploying AD, you know if um, you know back then usually Windows was not the DNS server of choice like it is now in a lot of Windows environments. Usually it was you know bind or something else, and you could you can usually see you know if you see like a, a namespace that you know was something you know like child.company.com kind of like my, my thing was always like so you lost the battle with the Unix guys right because <laughs> you, know, you, you don't get to own your namespace they just shunted you off a piece of the namespace you know nowadays you don't see that as much to me anyway well you know you know what this means cross force migrations for everybody <laughs> uh, okay good info next up um, one of my coworkers, uh, and Tom's going to talk about him here in a second has come up with a really cool module for link so Tom tell us what that's about yeah, this is um, so. This is a, a module from uh, Vic uh, Jaswal, who's uh, one of the the Modality guys in the UK, and he's just killing it lately with the uh, kind of PowerShell and, and script thing. He he was the one who released the module for the Sonus gateways using the REST API. Um, what he's done this time is he's taken the excellent um, CQM uh, stuff from the the Link Microsoft guys. Uh, CQM is the um, core quality um, stuff that Link team did to uh, kind of SQL queries, basically that run off the monitoring server and pull out actual really useful actionable information. Um, so things like telling you all your gateways and all your um, all your mediation servers which have lost and uh, which have lost and, and where those losses between those, rather than trying to dig through the the good but quite complex reports you get out of um, SQL reporting services. Um, another one they have is they have all your endpoints globally in your link environment and which are the best and worst quality. Um, they're really good queries, but you have to run up SQL and actually run the queries and edit the dates. It's all a bit of a pain. And um, what Vic's done is, is put all those SQL queries into a single module so you can just run PowerShell commands and do, for example, um, get LS CQM endpoint devices or get uh, LS CQM endpoint relay for all the calls relayed via your edge servers. Um, so he's really taken a lot of the pain out of running those CQM queries and made them uh, completely automatable as well. Um, yeah, so I'd, I'd highly recommend people have a look at it. I found two customer environments. I found uh, issues, one major and one minor, through these SQL queries. So they're, they're really valuable stuff. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I, mean, I haven't looked at it yet, but like we were talking before we started. I, I uh, we just get the gateways uh, in my one environment uh, upgraded to, to, to three, so we could use the REST API and 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 the Sonus gateways. And that his his module is so wicked cool, um, you know. And it's like, and I've been dying because I wanted to, to use it, and it, I couldn't do it until we got you know the, the change approved to, to update the, uh, the the gateways. And yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's that whole ability to touch gateways via PowerShell is wicked cool stuff and uh i really appreciate that he published that and the backup uh thing as well he, he wrote yeah the, the the cool thing about um this link insights module that that he has everything gets returned as an object so you can pipe that to other commands to change the format you can export it to csv files you can do whatever you want um so it's it's quite um easy to manipulate the data into whatever format you need um, but the, one of the things that I like is the uh, get ls file transfer detail report, which shows you about file transfers that have taken place between some of your users. So lots of great information. Of course, um, it hits the um, the LCS CDR uh, database, which means you have to have monitoring um, going on in your environment. But um, definitely some, some good stuff. And uh, Vic has who really would not, who would not have monitoring? Power? <laughs> Nobody would not. Have monitoring. I know. It's, 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 well, again, a lot of places that a lot of places that didn't have voice, you know, sort of an afterthought. But you know, again, can't stress enough. Even if you don't have voice to put deploy monitoring, but if you do have yeah, voice or planning, it, yes, definitely deploy it. Because again, it's still the core of everything else. Even if you're using a third-party tool like like events like dossier from event zero, um, you know, you still need that data. All the third-party reporting tools still need the CDR and QE data from from the link monitoring store. So you still need to deploy it, even if you don't want to use the the standard link reports. You know. And here, and here's speaking of monitoring. Here's a little tidbit I didn't know. Um, if you set up a lab environment that has a couple of standard edition pools, 
um, you cannot put two instances of uh, monitoring or archiving on the same SQL server, even if they're going to dedicated instances. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. Top Builder stops you on a lot of those things. It stops you on uh, having the same SQL backend for two pools, even if it's different instances, just because they think you're shooting yourself in the foot. Even if you <laughs> it's like, you know, it's a subtle way of saying, if you, okay, if you really do this, you're an idiot, but we, we just won't let you. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I could see why that wouldn't be, uh, you know, optimal in a production environment, but when you're building a lab environment and, uh, you know, processes and, you know, uh, uh, VM resources are kind of uh, constrained. It's uh, It would be nice to be able to combine those. But well, you know, here's, here's a question. I mean, sort of a genuine question. Like, so redundancy for, or you know, or, or load distribution for monitoring server, how do you guys, you know, what do you, what would you guys, you know, see as a, as a way to do that? You know, because I see a lot of companies that have just, you know, an even huge, you know, uh, link deployments have one giant monolithic, uh, monitoring server, and you know it's just getting crushed all the time because it's you know it's got eighty something gig of data, and it just you can't you know the you know even if it has thirty two gig of RAM, the database is just chugging and reports take forever. But so how would you you know break that up? I guess is the question. Or can you? Yeah, so we we've we've looked at this before, and and you can obviously you can take that data off to another SQL server and you know run your reports and max out that SQL server rather than maxing out your kind of production monitoring server. But I haven't found anything cleverer to do other than giving it a, a really well spec server and waiting right. waiting your turn or for that information. Or like, really. or like I was saying, or buy a third party tool because they, they do it better than, than yeah, the reports. You know? Yeah, some of the third party tools take that and re reindex it and do it in a slightly smarter way in SQL to make their queries a little bit quicker than the default ones. Um, a lot a lot of the reporting we do is. Um, kind of scheduled and recurring, so we're not sitting there waiting necessarily. The report just gets generated, and that's another way you can deal with it in a big environment. Yeah, and I've always, you know, just looked at it in, in dossier. Usually there's a report there, and uh, it's generally a lot faster since the data is already over there. Yeah, yeah, my, that's my experience with dossier too. I mean, it's, that's that's a thing to me that just is mind-boggling how fast it is compared to compared to native, you know, SSRS. And, and getting the data that you want, you know. Exactly. And, you know, you name the report, you can see it, whether it's, uh, you know, endpoints or conversations between internal and external people or, you know, a heat map to show you busy times of the day or, um, you know, all kinds of call quality statistics or anything like that. I know uh, we're working on a, a management report that pulls data from Event Zero. Uh, for customer portals and, and basically shows you all the you know the top five reports that a manager might see and it's and and dossier does it all I mean uh, not only are is there a report probably there for what you're looking for but if there isn't uh, they create a report for you really quick uh, upon request so yeah that's one of the things I was talking to about the, those those um, what we call them, bullet lists there's there's so many reports in those bullet lists that you really got to look in there to see what how much stuff is in there because and I was kind of thinking of telling like maybe you should bubble those up better because I don't think a lot of people that you know you know even when just kind of I even I give my own demos you don't realize how much how many canned reports are like in there that you can pick from and you know um, there's some really crazy powerful stuff in there. Yeah, my my favorite one is the uh, dashboard for um, for Link Essentials because it 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 shows it breaks it down so much for. Um, you know, good information for managers like, you know, here's how many uh, calls you've had in, in your environment and um, here's the the overall uh, quality information for those, you know, kind of like on a heat map, you know, so you've had 3,000 calls in the last 30 days. Um, the average uh, quality was 98%, but it breaks it down into, you know, how much was uh, you know, 97% or 95% or whatever the case may be. So you can always go there and find some some excellent information. Of course, John, you and I have been using Dossier for quite some time now. Um, I think since at least Link Conference of last year when we first met Dave Tucker from uh, yeah. Zero. And um, it, it's, it's But I even stuff. helped deploy it in, a, you know, so, you know, I helped deploy it in, 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 a, in, in some pretty large environments, you know, too, as a, you know, so, you know, for my, for my customer. And, um it's wicked cool stuff. I mean, we talked about it before, and obviously, and he's a sponsor. Thank you so much. Um, but uh, it's you know, it's it's really cool when you really are behind it. A tool, you know, like it's like sort of like anyway, I'll, I'll talk about it for free, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's I mean, that cool. Yeah, you know, one thing that um, 
that comes up in a lot in in most environments involving um, enterprise voice and uh, link phone editions is uh, you know how much are these devices getting used and you can look in um, dossier and see you know all right you've had three thousand calls but only three percent of them are using LPE devices everybody else is using you know headsets or or the speakers and mic right on their laptop or whatever the case may be so you know you name it you can you can generally find out you can find out your top users how much you know how many conferences they've been in and how much time and and things like that so it really breaks down pretty much any kind of data that you can that you can get out of the database um it, it shows up there so you know and we're not saying that just because they're a sponsor now we've uh, john and i have wanted to kind of talk about it for for quite some time so um very good information it's all web driven um you install some some agents on your servers that sends uh, the data out, and it all gets uh, uh, aggregated by um, Event Zero's servers. And uh, you log in, see your reports. You can run um, scheduled reports, ad hoc reports, whatever you want. So definitely check them out. Yeah, good stuff. And next up, we have an update for the Windows Phone app for Link. Um, this came out a little while back. Basically, just some uh, some UI improvements and uh, a few bug fixes, but to me it seems uh, a little bit quicker and uh, a little more stable on my phone. Um, I'm running uh, the Nokia 1020, and, it, and it's rocking and rolling now. I'm, I'm really enjoying the, the clients a lot. Yeah, I have stable. noticed it, it does, definitely does seem to load better. I got, I got the 1520 I've been using, which is so big it's ridiculous, but I, I sort of like it. I don't know, but it's got as big. I know. It looks like it's, you're holding a tablet up to your head, John. I know. It's just, it, you know, again, and, well, my, you know, obviously we're going to do a phone review session, but, um, you know, again, it's it's sort of like, it's just too big. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> but I, I, I do, I, you know, I find myself grabbing it. It's like if I want to actually read a, a web page then on my iPhone, you know, I've been grabbing it for that. And it's actually pretty good at that, except for i i11 still needs a lot of love. Personal personal beef there. Yeah, so the the update does give you the ability to view uh, shared content um, and initi- initiate some uh, group conversations and things like that. So a lot more control over conferences and meetings uh, in this update. So and then um, there was also an issue with uh, the iPhones uh, and certificates. And time you took a look at that. Yeah, yeah, no, no real major issue, but on the, um, the Link 2013 update for iPhone and iPad came out about the same time, the 5.4 version, um, and they've tightened down some of the security um, certificate chain checking on that for the first time, I think. So um, I had a customer who had a DevBox, uh, Dev 2013 Edge, and it always worked fine with Link Mobile, and uh, it went to 5.4, and, and some users found it stopped working. And interestingly, the users that it was working with before had never installed the the root cert for the chain of the internal CA, and it was still just happened to work. Um, in 5.4, they've um, clearly strengthened the, um, the certificate checking, and, and that bombed out. No big issue if you've got a proper, properly deployed edge uh, and reverse proxy, it's going to work fine. But if you were using internal certs, some of your users might have been getting away with it working without having the, the root on, and, and now they need to install that. Okay, good to know. And here's uh, something that impacted me. Um, when you're creating trusted application endpoints, uh, you have to define a SIP address. And the SIP address has to be uh, prefixed with SIP and a colon. Well, here's an issue. We were uh, deploying one of our LinkMe applications from Modality. And uh, when we tried to actually use the application, we noticed uh, an error. And when we looked at thing, when we captured stuff and looked at it in Snooper, the error said uh, this message was not delivered to you know whatever the user's name is, because the service is not available. And um, this took quite a while to figure out because the error message was uh, didn't really point to anything in particular. We went through our, our usual checks to make sure everything was online, configured right, and everything. It turned out that when you define a trusted application endpoint, um, the SIP address. Uh, the SIP colon part has to be all lowercase. If any of the <laughs> if any of the letters are in uppercase, you start to get this error. Now, <laughs> that's just you know, that's, again, that's good information it, because again, like, who would ever think that you know? Exactly. Uh, but in lowercase. <laughs> um, you know, and of course, I I almost well, I, I always use lowercase for everything. But in uh, what happened in this particular instance was it was a copy and paste from a Word doc. And Word had, uh, you know, automatically uh, 
capitalize the first letter of the SIP address, and I didn't really notice it when I when I uh, pasted it into uh, uh, the management shell. And you know, it it doesn't bark at you when you create the trusted application endpoint that the address is not in the correct format. It just lets you do it and says okay. And it's not until you actually try to use it that uh, you run into this uh, uh, this error. It shows up as a 500 internal server error, and then the um, the diagnostic info says, you know, it, the service is not available. So it took us a while to figure this out, and I, I give uh, a lot of credit to um, uh, Tom Morgan at Modality, and uh, he was working with me to, to try and figure out what this was, and he said, you know, let's just change it to all lowercase and see if it works, and boom, uh, presto changeo, it work, started working fine. So when you're creating these uh, these application endpoints, make sure the uh, the SIP address, uh, the prefix is all lowercase and save yourself some trouble. That's very cool. I would never would have thought that in my <laughs> yeah. I, I was We were going around in circles. We spent way too much time uh, trying to figure that. It, it, it should have at least thrown an error saying that, um, you know, it needs to be lowercase or, you know, maybe even fix it when you, when you create it. So... Um, you know, and, and like I said, I typically use all lowercase for that. It just happened to be a copy and paste thing where I copied and pasted this, um, you know, this long line. And uh, no, uh, so I turned to drinking on that day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and last uh, for this episode, the Microsoft has extended support for Link Phone Edition devices. And uh, I'm kind of glad about this. I know I'm kind of a old school. I uh, I have a uh, Tanjay phone on my desk, amongst many others, and I like the big uh, um, touchscreen for it. So uh, I'm glad to see this. They are now extending uh, mainstream support through 2018 and extended support through 2023. Um, and so lots of time for you to, to keep your uh, LPE devices around. Um, you know, and I've talked to some people like Jeff uh, Schertz over at uh, Polycom and, and Mike Stacy at Polycom, and they said, you know, a lot of people are still uh, buying the uh, LPE devices like the CX600s. I know um, I see tons of people buying those things. So those phones will still be around for a, a long time in addition to other uh, families such as the VVX phones and and things like that. So uh, we'll uh, we'll have a link to the Polycom article about how they extend it and the Microsoft article too. So um, if you've got LPE devices, uh, you're safe for a while. Yeah, and on a, on a side note, I actually got to play with a, a Spectralink uh, Wi-Fi phone the other day. It's pretty actually pretty cool. I had not seen one before. Cool. I had to hook it up. Yeah. Very cool. We'll yeah, have to do I mean, a review it's got on the same. It. Yeah, that's not a bad idea, actually. Um, it you know, runs the same software as the, generally the same software as the VVX series, so it's kind of like a small, you know, a handheld VVX sort of looks like an old Nokia cell phone, you know. Um, but it has a web, you know, has a, has a web server in it, so you can configure it from the, you know, once it gets an IP address, you just go to go on the uh, web page and configure it for most of the stuff. Trying to log in on the keypad it reminds me of, I mean, again, you took me forget how, how far, far we've come, you know, hitting, a, you know, one, 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 one for A, <laughs> two, 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 yeah. two for B. <laughs> like, you know, how we used to do it on texting in T9. So. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, well, I'll have to get one of those and play around with it, too. I've wanted a, uh, a wireless one for around the house. I've got uh, LPE devices all through my house, so it would be nice to have a wireless one to to go out on the back deck and watch my uh, grandson on the trampoline. So. Well, you know, it's true, yeah. but if you think about it, the funny thing, the irony to me is like, okay, I have a wireless link endpoint. It's called my cell phone. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I'm like, why do I need a, uh, this thing? I don't understand what it does that my link client on my iPhone doesn't do, you know? Yeah. And I've got I've got a decked headset, so I can pretty much walk just about anywhere. But it'd yeah. be nice to you know have something with a keypad and a display on it. Yeah, we, we've deployed some of their stuff, and uh, we deployed that they've got decked and they've got Wi-Fi, and the deck stuff is is really strong because you don't have to rely on having a voice grade Wi-Fi network. Um, the the whole mobile client versus dedicated Wi-Fi handset thing is interesting. Obviously, if you're going to run the Wi-Fi phone all day, like in a retail environment. Your mobile might not be up to that from a kind of battery or functionality point of view, so that's where the kind of the Wi-Fi handsets shine a little bit. But it is an interesting overlap. Hmm. Good stuff. Good point, yeah. All right, and that pretty much does it for this episode. Um, we'd like to remind you the UC Architects is sponsored by Instant Technologies, experts in e-discovery and compliance for your Link IM archive. View a two-minute demo or start a free trial at hrauditor.com, or follow them on Twitter at Team Instant. 
And, of course, our new sponsor, Event Zero. The Dossier Link product family is an integrated suite of functionality designed specifically to enable organization-wide analytics for Microsoft Link environments. Create actionable intelligence for the organization about the Link environment and its utilization. Check them out at eventzero.com. And as always, we'd like to remind you that the UC Architects are online. Visit our website at theucarchitects.com. Follow us on Twitter at the UC Architects. Uh, we have a page on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash the UC Architects. And we have a group on LinkedIn. Subscribe to the podcast in the iTunes Store, the Zoom Marketplace, uh, the new Windows Phone 8.1 podcast app, which is really cool, our own Windows Phone app, or your favorite RSS app like Outlook. See our website for links to everything on the show today. We'll see you back for the next episode with Steve Hosting. Thank you.